The views and opinions on this Masonic podcast are Brother Fluff's alone, and not the views and opinions of any Masonic Lodge, Masonic Grand Lodge, Masonic Appendant Body, or any other Masonic Brother. Enjoy! The Grand Lodge of Texas, once called them the Grand TikToker of Texas, here's Brother Fluff! Masonic social media just has a special way of being extra spicy. Like this week alone, I've been called a liar, an occultist, a Luciferian, but my favorite name that I've been called so far this week, my favorite name is a sadness. That's right, guys. That's right. Brother Fluff is a sadness. But if they only knew that I come from Texas and a part of Texas that produces over 40% of the world's cotton, they would understand that I myself, I'm a high thread count type of guy, if you know what I mean. But you know what they say, my brother. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but a troll's words can never hurt me because I am Brother Fluff, a proud Texas Freemason, and you are listening to On Point Masonic Podcast, where we share truth and light about Freemasonry to the rest of the world through this little thing that we call the Internet. And I'm just curious, how many of you have actually ever gotten on Google and just typed in Freemasonry and seen what's popped up. You know, we, this is something that we don't really think about a lot when we do invite potential candidates to the lodge. You know, in my last episode, we talked about the, the knock and the importance of the knock and how that's actually the first ritualistic step in Freemasonry. But we often overlook this next part of the process, which is inviting that potential candidate into the door and allowing them to have dinner with us, break bread with us, meet with us, and talk to us. And there is something really important in there that can sometimes be a little off-putting if you are a man who is very well-founded in your faith. And that's actually the prayer before dinner. And that prayer before dinner can kind of be misleading to those who are uninformed and uneducated. You see, as a secular group of men coming together under the fatherhood of God, we don't pray to our individual deities in lodge. It's just not something that we do. Instead, we use this term, great architect of the universe. And I myself, I was very shocked the first time that, that I actually bowed my head and closed my eyes to pray at lodge uh, over that old spaghetti bill that we were having that first time that I showed up. And, uh, you know, I heard Brother Chaplin say, hey, Thank you, guests. Thank you, family, for, for coming tonight. Uh, we appreciate everybody being here. The stewards, what a wonderful meal you have prepared for us. Thank you, guys. Let's bow our head in reverence and pray. And uh, as we bowed, I, I'll never forget, great architect of the universe. And so not every candidate is going to be the type of candidate that I was. Now, I questioned everything that I saw in that dining hall whenever I first came to have my first meal. And, you know, I, I shared about me questioning what did Worshipful Master mean. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit further down the road here. But I definitely brought up, hey, what is the great architect of the universe? What does it allude to? Because I'm not going to pray to another god. I'm not going to pray to a different deity, something that's going to uh, hinder my, my faith in my relationship with my Lord and Savior. That's just not something that's worth fighting for on my front here, especially for some sort of fraternal status that's not going to get me any sort of uh, extra credit points in heaven. But we have to understand and realize that not every potential candidate is going to 
offer up these questions in the open, whether they, it's because they don't want to offend us or maybe they just automatically feel like it's not for them after they hear something like that. So they're not going to ask us these questions. They're not going to come up and just say, hey, what does the great architect of the universe means? No. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to ask that question on a search engine and hit Google. In fact, on the Google Analytics, this is probably the second or third most asked question through Google. And whenever I asked the question, just to bring it up in my search bar and see what type of answers were out there, there were a couple of true Masonic sources out there, but mixed in, mixed in between the truth, were all of these theories. And uh, this is probably one of the best theories that that I saw, and I'm gonna I'm gonna cite my source here. This comes from evangelicaltruth.com the masonic lodge has its own inoffensive politically correct god who is known as the supreme being or the great architect of the universe masonry boasts that every mason can approach this god regardless of his religion in the neutral atmosphere of the lodge room and in doing so the divergent brethren unite together in common worship by prayers salutations and hymns to this innocuous being and innocuous means not offensive for those of you who don't want to pull out your dictionary again this this comes from evangelicaltruth.com and and then after this little paragraph and blurb that they have there it starts talking about what is that god and who does that god refer to based off of, of some sightings that they pulled off of sacredtext.com or the Duncan's Ritual Monitor. And it just really gets in there and dives deep and says that, hey, these Freemasons, they're worshiping something else. It's not the true God. I mean, obviously, this is a, is a Christian website, but it's, it's not the true God. It's, it's a multitude of gods. Freemasons are universal. Stay away. And then you mix that in with other conspiracy theorist sites like Victor from uh, YouTube, who has a video that's amassed over 5 million views, saying that he was an ex-33rd degree Mason, an Italian child who claims to be an ex-master Mason from Australia, and they're spouting out the same information? Who are these guys supposed to trust? Are they going to trust the guys that they met in person, or are they going to trust the content that has provided millions of hits across the world? And to be completely honest... These websites would technically be telling the truth if Freemasonry wasn't a religion. We would be very much a universalist society. So in the way that we communicate all of this, we need to be extra careful in, in how we say, hey, we invite all men of all faiths to come and meet under the fatherhood of God and receive these initiatic degrees. Because to someone who is not in the know, that's just confirming what they've seen online. Obviously, we can reach out and, and tell them to go look at our own Grand Lodge websites. Like for myself, the Grand Lodge of Texas has put in that Masonry does require of its adherents a belief in God and in life after death. Though it asks no one to expound upon the particulars of his understanding of those two beliefs, Masonry is not a religion. There is nothing in Masonry to interfere with a man's religious life. Persons of all faiths and Christian denominations are a part of the worldwide Masonic fraternity. Religion and politics are two subjects not allowed to be discussed when a lodge is in session. And I just want to let you know right now that this is your warning. This is going to be a very heavy religious-based podcast today. 
this is just something that we need to talk about. We have to talk about what the great architect of the universe is, why it's important for men to have a faith before coming to Lodge, and then, you know, who is the great architect of the universe and where did he come from? Why do we still use him and value him today in modern Freemasonry? So you just have to understand, we're not in a closed lodge. This is not a closed session. And, you know, in my personal belief, I think that iron sharpens iron. And this type of conversation is a really good conversation to have, especially whenever you listen to it on your own free will and accord. So that's your warning. That's all you're getting for this episode. We can trace Freemasonry back to about 1390 with a set of poems that we've found. But between 1538 and 1732, Freemasonry was transforming itself from a labor guild into a speculative society. Much of its practices and teachings were Christian in nature, and it's important to understand why. Unless you were in England in the 1530s, Western Europe was still very much in the folds and control of the Holy Roman Catholic Church, which viewed itself as the only true Christian doctrine. Now, the Great Church Schism of 1054 separated the Holy Roman Catholic Church in the West from the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East, but it wasn't until 1517 when another tear in the fabric of the Church started to appear. With the 95 Theses of Martin Luther, which called out the indulgences of the Catholic Church, and William Tyndale publishing the Holy Bible from Latin to English, the world was transforming itself in its views. This further advanced the Protestant Reformation. And with the loss of followers, it meant the loss of land holdings. It meant the loss of money. And the Catholic Church would lose their grip on world dominance and their vast influence and wealth would be fractured, especially among the royalty. And this was especially seen with King Henry VIII after he established the Church of England in 1534. But being industrious and understanding that in masonry you just needed hardworking men, the Stonemasons Guild knew that they needed men of all faiths to join their ranks. And in my opinion, they are one of the first groups to actively promote freedom of religion. And even though at the end of the day that faith was very much based off of the Trinitarian views of the Holy Church, they were out there promoting, hey, you want to work? Come join us. Because the world still needed operative masons. They still needed people to build their castles. They still needed men to build their walls and their churches and cathedrals. Freemasonry was a valued system. So at this time, there actually wasn't any reference to the great architect of the universe. Yes, all the, the allegory and, and, and symbolism was alluding to the, the stonemason's craft, but nobody had really tied in the great architect of the universe at that point. That didn't happen until the 1723 Anderson's Constitutions. James Anderson was obviously a Freemason and a master of a Masonic Lodge, and he was also the Grand Warden of the Grand Lodge of London and Westminster, which would later be known as the Premier Grand Lodge of England. And in the 19th century, that name would change to the United Grand Lodge of England. He was commissioned in September of 1721 by the Grand Lodge to write a history of the Freemasons, and it would later be published in 1723 and be known as the Constitutions 
of the Freemasons. And what these constitutions actually did is it helped set a pattern for Freemasonry throughout the rest of the world. The Grand Lodge of Ireland adopted it and, and kind of made their own version of the 1723 constitutions. And in fact, it was printed verbatim by Brother Benjamin Franklin and brought to North America. And it was actually one of the first Masonic books that was ever printed in America, North America at that time. Now, I don't believe that James Anderson was necessarily trying to become the most progressive Freemason of all time to this point. But I do believe that there were some changes happening in the world whenever he began to use the term great architect of the universe. You see, in 1716, Jewish names were starting to appear on Grand Lodge rosters. And even with the very Christian-based charges, Freemasonry still made a lot of sense for everybody who belongs in the Abrahamic faith especially since we aren't offering any paths to salvation of our own. So I don't think that Anderson wanted to be that progressive. I don't think he intended to be that guy, but what he did want to do is make it more viable for all the brethren to come together and have a name to pray to. And then you get to decide whether or not you're praying to Jesus or the God of Abraham. But what Anderson unintentionally did, I believe, is he opened the door to Freemasonry, to all religions, because this was the age of enlightenment. You see, during this part in history, you not only had the split off from the, the Holy Roman Church, but you had North America, who was essentially splitting off into their own Anglican thinkings with the Presbyterian Church and the Episcopalian Churches, and they felt disenfranchised from the, the churches in Western Europe as well. And you couple that with the, the fact that North America, they literally just made a country that gave each of its citizens the freedom of religion. Why would their fraternities not have that same cause to them? This idea of freedom of religion. So deists and theists started joining among the ranks. And today we have brothers from all different creeds and all different races and countries around the world. And that includes uh, Muslim brothers, Buddhist brothers, Hindi brothers, uh, all sorts of, of, of pagan brothers, you know, all men who believe in the fatherhood of God, who understand that this world was divinely created by a great architect of the universe. Now, we don't come together and, and, and talk about religion within a lodge. Like I said, even the Grand Lodge of Texas, it's in our law books that we do not discuss religion and politics inside of a lodge. But we can have these conversations with each other outside of the lodge and continue to grow ourselves and experience these things. And, you know, if you don't want to be a part of a group that is inviting of all different faiths, then I'll just be completely honest with you. Freemasonry is not for you. But I would suggest that maybe you stop shopping at Walmart because you don't know what the person behind that checkout counter is, is, is believing. Or should I say that the person who designed the computer programming for the self-checkout. But you get my point. You know, we live in a melting pot of a world nowadays. And we shouldn't discriminate against each other. And the way that Freemasonry has helped me look outside of my box is... The, the very aspect of faith itself. You see, I am a Christian Freemason. I stated that in my last episode. I am a devout 
Christian. I do believe in salvation issues. I believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He was crucified on the cross and he died and raised and was resurrected for my sins. That is my personal belief. But Freemasonry has charged me to read my book of faith, which happens to be the Holy Bible. And it's it's something that I really have taken to heart. I read my Bible just about every day now, where at some points in my life, I've been kind of hot or cold in the reading of the scriptures, but I read my Bible every day because I want to have the best answers that I can possibly have for my brothers if those questions ever pop up in normal communications. And I'm still asked every live that I go on, how can you be a Christian and have this brotherly love towards men of different faiths? And I just got to ask, is it really that bad to to care for somebody who doesn't hold the same religious values as you or uh, theological opinions? Uh, Because whenever I look in the Bible, I, I go to Luke chapter 10, right? And I share this story all the time of my lives. But I don't like to cherry pick, so now that I have all the time in the world, I'm just going to read it out to you the way that that I see it, you know. And it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in verse 25, it starts, and it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So the lawyer answered, and he said, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and with all your mind, your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. And, and what he was saying by live is have eternal life. But the lawyer, he was wanting to justify himself and said to Jesus, And, and who is my neighbor exactly? And then Jesus answered by saying, A certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among the thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he joined, came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion so he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine and set him on his way on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him on the next day when he departed he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again I will repay you So which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him, and who fell among the thieves? And he said to Jesus, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. And many times people will say, Yeah, but the Samaritans, they were actually, you know, just neighbors. It's not like they were enemies with the Jews or anything like that. But no, you have to understand, at this moment in history, the Jews actually hated the Samaritans. You see, the Samaritans were part of the northern kingdom. And it was a cause of division between the Israelites 
and they they considered them to be half breeds they considered them to be dogs because they set up this idol worship and everything when the kingdom split which can be referenced in the book of kings so the jews had no love for the samaritans and for jesus to actually use a parable saying hey you know these people that you call dogs these people that that you call half breeds and you absolutely have all this hatred in your heart those those people are your neighbors those are the people that you should love as you love yourself and if you love somebody aren't you going to pray for them aren't you going to wish the best on them you know pray that they'll be blessed and pray a hedge of protection over them and pray that you know whatever intercessory prayer you can do to your creator will intervene in their life and help them have a better life i i know that's the way that i like to pray i like to pray for everybody whether i like them or not you know sometimes i'll just say simple prayers like oh lord you know i pray that so and so is having a good day today because i just don't want to mess with his bs today and you know i know that's like really kind of um that that might not be the best prayer that one could possibly give and it's it's really self-centered prayer of mine but i mean that's just the truth that's the way that my personal relationship with god works but you still get a lot of kickback and you still get a lot of of weird feelings about bowing your head to that name the great architect of the universe so in today's society whenever there's more agnostics and atheists out there than there is any man of one particular faith in the world is praying in freemasonry still a valuable tool well I, I do think that there is a matter of importance in prayer just based off of our obligation ceremony alone you see to become a freemason you have to be obligated and i'm i'm reading this directly out of the mackey's encyclopedia of freemasonry and it says that the obligation is the solemn promise made by a mason on his own admission and to any degree is technically called his obligation in a legal sense, the obligation is synonymous with the word duty. The obligation is that which binds a man to do some act, the doing of which is thus becomes his duty. By his obligation, a mason is bound or tied to the order. And so if you're going to bind yourself to an obligation to God that you are going to do the duties in which you were asked to perform, doesn't it become important to have that communication with God before you even consider taking the obligations. You see, my friends, another place where I believe that the Lodge is actually failing is to promote the importance of prayer before a candidate even turns in that petition. You know, uh, one of the things that, that my top signer did tell me to do is he said, you know, go home, ask your wife about it, but he also said, pray on it. That prayer should be the, the second part of the ritual, that going home and making sure that what Freemasonry is going to do for you is, is actually going to be something that aligns with your faith and aligns with your practices. No, you, you shouldn't be telling the candidate what God he should be praying to, but you should remind him that, you know, this is just a big decision in your life. You really need to be prayerful about it. You need to consider the implications of becoming a Freemason. You see, even in today's society, whenever I might get a job offer, a new job, I'm like, well, let me go home and pray about it. Whenever a, a big decision is being made, whether or not we, we buy a house or buy a new car, 
whether we uh, invest some money in something, you know, I always try and be prayerful because I believe that direct connection with God is going to help guide me. Now, it may not guide me in the way that I want it to, but it will open up that communication and it will open up that careful consideration of what I am about to do. Now, in my own story, I am jumping ahead a little bit because at this point in my life, whenever the power of prayer really became a thing, it actually happened on the day of my initiation. It, it, something had gotten into me that day that I decided that I really needed to just look up some YouTube videos, look up Google or, or, or something and try and figure out what Freemasonry was. You know, I, I guess it was the nerves that was getting to me. I didn't want to ruin the experience, right? I didn't want to go in knowing what the degrees and everything were. So I decided that I would just watch some YouTube videos. And one of the very first YouTube videos is uh, happens to be that man, Victor, that we heard about earlier in this podcast. And, and Victor is claiming that he's a 33rd degree Mason, that he's gone through all these rituals and degrees and blah, 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 blah. And you're, you're doing this vile, nasty things like drinking urine and eating feces and things of that nature. And something about the way that he was presenting this information, it scared me. I was like, oh no. Oh no, 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 no. And this was the day of my initiation. I could have backed out still, but I, I needed to know the truth. So I'd taken off early from work that day because one of the best, uh, best words of advice was, Hey, go home, take a shower, put on deodorant, clip your fingernails, clip your toenails, put on just some non-offensive cologne and, uh, be sure to wear some clean underwear, uh, before you go. So that gave me a lot of time to, to sit down and meditate and pray. And so as I was praying, I was like, well, look at these, look at these videos. Just, just look at one. So I watched this video and it freaked me out. I mean, it got me to the core and I was ready to bounce. So I just called my preacher up. I called my preacher. I said, Hey, I know that I hadn't really told you about this certain thing that's about to happen in my life, but I'm about to be initiated into Freemasons. And I just need to ask you, what do you know about the Masons? And just to give you some background on my preacher, he was a Southern Baptist preacher for most of his career. And that's, that's what the church is that I grew up under. You know, I was, I was mainly a Southern Baptist, but I was kind of a mixed breed, I guess you could say. There was some Church of Christ influence. There was some Episcopalian influence. And then in my career at the time, I have worked at a ton of different denominations of churches, and I've studied theology and been really involved in that. But I just, I think it's important to know that this guy is a very conservative Baptist preacher. So whenever I asked him this question, he just kind of hit me back with, wow, that's really cool, man. Congratulations. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, you know, I, I've kind of always been interested and curious about the Masons, and I've honestly studied them quite a bit. Uh, but I know that, you know, if I was to go out and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to try and become a Mason, uh, that my flock, they just, they really wouldn't understand. So I've just always kind of lived through guys like you and asked a whole bunch of questions. And, and that caught my attention. I was like, well, you, you know a lot of Masons? And he said, man, I, I got to be honest with you. I think you're going to love it. I think you're really going to enjoy it because I know quite a few Masons that go to our church and everything that they've told of me, Freemasonry, 
is a really good thing to be a part of. So I, I really appreciated it and valued his opinion on the fraternity at that time. And I just said, hey, brother, I'll go ahead and say his name. Brother Mitch, will you please pray for me right now? Like, will you just pray for me? And so, you know, over the phone, I, I closed my eyes and, and we said a little prayer. And he just offered nothing but good wishes and, and good guidance. And you see, this this preacher, he's been a preacher of mine for many, many years. He knows just about every difficult experience that I've had. So he knew what kind of condition and what kind of depression I was going through at the time. Yeah, he knew about my grandfather's passing. He was friends with my grandfather. He was friends with my grandparents. He knew that, that it, something had been taken out of me and I just needed a little bit of a spark, a little bit of light to reignite my life. So he prayed for me and we got off the phone and I, I stayed at home for just a little bit longer. I listened to a lot of Beethoven and Bach and Mozart because, you know, all of those brothers were Freemasons uh, when they were living. And I just really tried to connect with God and be extremely prayerful about this decision. And that followed me all the way into the ante room where I was prepared to be made a Mason. You see, you still get a couple of shots to back out if you don't want to join. In Texas, we're given this book, which is, is read to us, and it explains everything about the degrees and kind of what the ritual is and everything like that. Now, it doesn't go into the secrets or anything, but it just prepares you to get that information to know that, hey, this is something that I still really want to do. And I remember when it was being read to me, I was just sitting there. I was shaking. like My, my physical body was shaking. I was so nervous. To go through this and I honestly don't think I paid attention to a word that he said now I've since read it to candidates and I know what it's saying but at that time I had no clue I just wanted to get this degree done with and I I sat there and I made a little promise to God just quietly prayed dear Lord if there is anything in this degree that is going to damage or hurt my relationship with you please let me see it let me feel it let me hear it give me a sign let me know that this is the point where i gotta run i gotta leave because i will shut this thing down and i promise you god that i will tell as much of the world as i possibly can about how evil and dangerous freemasons are I don't know if it's obvious or not, but that sign that I prayed for, it never really came. In fact, everything that I experienced through that degree just reinforced the, the values in which I wanted to present because I, I learned some things. I learned about the working tools and what those working tools could actually do for my life. I learned that Freemasonry does not interfere with your devotions to your God. It does not interfere with your devotion an obligation to your family or to your work that Freemasonry was truly just a, a really good fraternity of men who came together under the belief that hey something greater created us so even though that I believe that the great architect of the universe is the God of Abraham and the father of Jesus Christ you may believe something completely different but at the end of the day we as brothers can come together and pray and offer our devotions to our own gods in unison 
and know that we are doing everything we can to make the world a better place, one brother at a time. Because how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell and live together in unity. Simone,